Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. Now, as we always do, we're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then when we come back, we're going to start unpacking uh, the many subjects that I want to cover in today's show. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello and welcome back. So here we are tonight uh, at Bostonian Rap. My name, for those who may be new to the show, uh, is Rachel Meiselman. I've been doing Bostonian Rap, wow, uh, my gosh, uh, for about 15 years, 15 years. And uh, sometimes I like to slip a little bit of music in there. Uh, you know, the the intro will be a little bit long. Uh, but it'll be this great jazz or funk song. Um, and that's how Bostonian rap actually started. But I knew I wanted to do social and political commentary as well. But I ultimately decided to do just one show, and I opted for the social and political commentary. So that's what Bostonian rap became after like about a month or two. And here we are today in 2023. It's it's hard to believe it's been uh, so long that I've been doing this. It's, it's definitely one of my babies. But as I said, uh, there are a lot of things that I want to get into. So let's just, just dive right on in. I, <laughs> I say that and I don't know where to begin. Um, there's so much to say. And so some of the things I've been talking about, they're not necessarily new topics. Uh, you know, some topics, I always like to say, uh, they're ongoing subjects uh, for me because I think that these are, these are issues or these are ideas or these are concepts that really constitute the bedrock of a healthy community or society. And so one of those things, of course, is transparency. And I talked about transparency and accountability because I think they very much go hand in hand. I think they're twins, if you will. Uh, I, I talked about that in regard to the interactions that people have with each other online. And in particular, the interactions that elected officials have with their constituents. Now, I'm always going to say that I don't think that certain lines should be crossed. I don't think that the office that one holds should be disrespected. And I don't think an individual should be disrespected. I'm blunt, but I'm not disrespectful. I'm blunt, but I'm not rude. I think I say what needs to be said. And I don't, I don't whitewash anything. I don't see the point in that. But again, I'll always stress that I don't set out to be discourteous. I, I don't see the value in that. And I think that if you do have something to say, and I do, <laughs> I do, uh, I think that any point, legitimate, valid point that you're trying to make, uh, you just... You, it ends up getting just really kind of uh, crushed under, you know, people being offended or insulted because you did cross that line. So why cross that line? You you want your point to be able to stand. You want people to actually entertain your point. I mean, to be fair, there are going to be people who 
regardless of, of, of the way in which you present your argument or point, they're not going to listen to it. But I think that uh, certainly no one is going to do himself any favors by just being unnecessarily indecorous. So it, it, you just you be polite, but say what you have to say. And I think that we're living in a time where people are not used to honesty. So it's something that they clamor for, but when you give it to them, they don't like it. Uh, some people would maybe push back and say, well, I do like honesty. I do. That's what I want. But what they really mean is that they want to hear the truth about certain things and certain people. So at the end of the day, it ultimately translates to people wanting to hear only what they want to hear. And and what else is new, right? But I, I think that we do need transparency and accountability. I remember very recently... And I might have shared this, but, I, you know, if I, if I have, I'll share it again. I was struck by uh, the Cambridge, Cambridge's visit, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And I've been critical of Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, in the past, very much so. But I think over the years, she has, I don't want to say grown into her role, um, but I think she has come to understand that her role doesn't just constitute uh, it's, it's not just it's not just a figurehead that she is. Uh, she's not uh, someone that is expected to just show up and cut ribbons. I mean, okay, she she does serve as one of the faces. Uh, of the United Kingdom uh, necessarily, right, as a member of the royal family, um, of the British royal family. And it's, it's. I, let me just, let me put in a parenthesis here. It, it, can, it can get confusing because you have the United Kingdom, that term, um, and, you know, you're, you're talking about a country, a geographical space, and then you have you talk about Great Britain, and it's 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 uh, it's more. I think. I mean, I guess you can talk politics, but it's it's also uh, I think cultural. Uh, so so why don't I just uh, make it easy and just say, um, you know, as a member of the royal family, as a member of the royal British royal family. Uh, you know, she certainly is, you know, a face, an ambassador, if you will. And, and there is a certain amount of, you know, the, the, the ribbon cutting, the accepting of the flowers, the shaking of the hands, you know, that, that comes with the territory. And then, of course, she's patroness of a number of uh, organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations that are dear to her. <laughs> Um, and also that are of importance to to the royal family, and by extension uh, to the to to the country. Um, so so yeah, you you certainly have all that. But I think over time, uh, I think she's understood that you know certainly there's a lot of glamour that's attached to that. But I think she's become more human over time. She's become more relatable, more accessible. Uh, I'm not ready to throw her a parade (laughs) or start up a fan club, but I think that she's become much more gracious over time. And uh, certainly when you compare her, not that people should, but it's, it's inevitable um, you know, because, you know, Meghan Markle married Prince Harry, uh, you know, the Sussexes, uh, I, I think that certainly in comparison, uh, people have come to, even if it's only grudgingly, uh, have accepted, or have come to, to, uh, 
think, believe. Uh, they've come to to the idea that yes, yeah, she she is good in this role. She is competent. She is adequate. Uh, she comports herself in a way that you would expect. And then, of course, Prince William, I think he's very interesting. I think that he very much bears the, or represents, he's, 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 he's a nice representation, a nice mix, I think, of both his father and his mother. I think that, to use the word human again, I'll use it as a verb this time. I think she, uh, I think Diana very much humanized the British uh, monarchy, and I think that her common touch has been passed down, and and I think it can be passed down. I think that William is is a very thoughtful individual. I think that. He does have an awareness and understanding that not everyone shares his good fortune in, in terms of, of of the financial security, right? Um, I think that he is aware of those in his country uh, that that suffer. Um, that struggle, and I think he's able, I do believe he is able to relate. Diana, again, she had very much a common touch, and that's actually where I'm going with this. You know, so people might be saying, well, why is she talking about the the recent uh, visit of the Cambridges to Boston? And I'm talking about it because I was so struck. I, you know, just saw some, you know, snippets of videos here and there. But in every little bit that I saw, when the Duke and Duchess were interacting with members of the public here in Boston, they were very focused on the person or people. And I was really impressed. And there's, you know, there's an expression in French. There's, and I'm, I'm going to bring this in, in to introduce this into uh, what I'm trying to say. And, and I think it'll be more, it'll be clearer to people where, where exactly I'm going with this. Uh, there's an expression in French, plus royaliste que le roi. And it's more royal than the king, right? So it's this idea that you have people who are more royal than the royalty, nobler than the, the noblesse. And it's not a compliment. It speaks to a person's um, misplaced haughtiness, not that being haughty is anything that is ever in place or appropriate, uh, outrageous snobbery. That's that's what it speaks to. And so I compared the interaction of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge with you know the average Bostonian <laughs> with some of the politicians that we currently have right here and now in Boston. And, you know, I heard a comment or two that, well, we shouldn't deify the royalty. And I found that a bit rich because that's what we kind of do with some of our politicians, right? Or our politicians in general. Uh, this has long been a gripe of mine that we don't have royalty in this country, of course, but we look at our politicians and we elevate them to this level that most of them simply, quite frankly, don't deserve to occupy. And I think that the Boston City Council is a unique 
legislative body because people might say, okay, well, it's municipal. You know, I would imagine that people, what, they focus on potholes and they focus on the state of the city's parks and they discuss budgets and they talk about, oh my goodness, uh, overtime for the police and they talk about what, staffing shortages in in the Boston public schools and et cetera, et cetera. And I would say, yes, they do do all that, but notwithstanding what they're actually supposed to do, you often see, and this is this has increasingly become the case, you often see Boston City Councilors, they, they talk about things and issues that, quite frankly, are beyond their scope. And they will maybe imply that they're going to work with this one or that one. And, and really, ultimately, the collaborative work that may or may not take place, but but they're kind of throwing it out there that this is something that they look forward to doing or that they would like to do. It, it's, it's ultimately outside their purview. My point is, is that we have politicians that take themselves for royalty. They are unrelatable. They are not accessible. They believe themselves to be elevated. You know, uh, just ever so much slightly or not so slightly above you, the constituent. And it's just, it's... What's the word I want to use? Not disheartening, not discouraging. Uh, It's more sickening. That's the word, because that's why there's so much in the city that doesn't get done. Don't get me wrong. Being a Boston city councilor, and for those who don't know, being a Boston city councilor, you get paid very well. And if we look at uh, the salaries of governors around the country, Boston city councilors actually get paid more than some governors. Right. And Boston is a very important city. And while and I and I'm always I'm always saying this, really, you know, although the mayoral seat, you know, the mayoral office is, is a very powerful one. It's 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 a very powerful office, not because of the person, but because of, of the powers that are that are baked into the position. Um it's very strong, but the city council is not without power of its own. And so, you know, an effective, a smart city councilor can actually do a tremendous amount of good. But, you know, here in Boston at this point in time, we have councilors that believe that they're royal, <laughs> that they're plus royaliste que le roi. You know, they're more royal than the king. And these are the same counselors that, again, are inaccessible. And if they do interact with their constituents, it, it somehow becomes all about them and what they're doing and what their job is and how people look to them, look up to them or look to them for for solutions or for assistance or for help. Well, of course, they're going to look for you, uh, look to you for solutions or help. Uh, that's part of the job of being a public servant, regardless of the office that the public servant holds. That that's part of the job. That's what a public servant does. He or she uh, provides assistance 
uh, helps constituents find solutions. I mean, that's 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 you know the raison d'être of of the public servant, right? But it's this idea that that upon becoming elected, that someone becomes something else, that someone becomes something bigger and better uh, than than what he than, 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 than the people that he or she is supposed to serve. I, I don't agree with that. And how does this then relate to transparency and accountability? Well, I think it 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 fits in very nicely because it's the idea that these people think that they're above being transparent. They think that they're, certainly, they think that they're above being accountable. And blocking constituents may not seem like a big deal. It is. As I said, it's an infringement on one's civil liberties, freedom of speech. But beyond that, it's, it's sending out a message, I don't have to deal with you. It's this idea of let them eat cake. And again, when we look at the different challenges with which Boston is is currently being met, it's not surprising that there's not necessarily a lot being done to meet those challenges. And so, you know, this year... There are, of course, going to be municipal elections in Boston uh, for the city council. And I encourage people to vote. I encourage people to perform their civic duty because it's so important. It's so very, very important. And I'll leave this segment on the show on this note, and I'm paraphrasing Plato, that if you don't participate in government, uh, the result is that what you you're governed then by your by your lessers, uh, by those who are less than you, and it's rather ironic because again, the people who are not doing their jobs are people who don't generally believe that they really need to. That upon being elected, they have somehow a mandate to make the office whatever it is they wish for it to be. And that's not the case. So again, I, I encourage people to vote. Um, it is my hope that there will be a selection. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but if I have any kind of exhortation, and, and, and for those of you uh, <laughs> who are familiar with radio, we have to be very careful what we say. Uh, the radio manager is probably listening right now and, and thinking, what is she going to say next? Well, what I'm going to say is, again, I, I urge people to vote. That's, that's what I'll do. Um, because it's, it's very important that we have a society where everyone participates and if we want to be inclusive, I think that we have to stop looking to others to make a place for us. I think we need to stop looking to the government to make a place for us. Certainly, at different points in time, leaders in the community have a role to play and making sure that society is more inclusive and certainly government has a role to play uh, particularly when we're talking about a violation of our civil liberties right so then we're going we're, we're starting to talk about civil rights um, you know certainly I, I, you know there the, are the roles for different entities and different people to play but I think ultimately, we have a role to play, and in some respects, it's probably the most important role of all, 
we got to get up and vote. We want to be included. We have to speak up. And, you know, throughout history and different points in history, I should say, we've had people who have, have valiantly fought for this right. And so for us not to exercise it at present day, there, there really is no excuse and there's no kind of noble spin uh, to be put on not getting out and voting. And on that note, <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some more topics. And uh, I invite you to uh, continue to listen along. Uh, as always, uh, you know, speaking of being accessible, uh, you know, I look forward to to hearing what anyone has to say. Um, I'm around, I'm about, uh, and I'm present uh, whether it's online or in person. But let's go to that quick break. Um, and when we come back, we'll continue to unpack the topics of tonight's show. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. Our jury system needs participation by everybody. Jurors make important decisions that affect lives in our communities. In our courts, everyone deserves fair and equal treatment. People from different backgrounds bring different viewpoints and ask more questions when making decisions. Make a difference and serve on a jury when you get the chance. Brought to you by the Massachusetts Trial Court and the Office of Jury Commissioner. Hello and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. This is Rachel Meiselman and you're listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is, of course, Boston's community radio station. So before we went on break, I urged everyone to vote. And really, the theme, I think, if there is a theme of, of tonight's show, it's really to, to really kind of impart the idea that the extent to which we're included in society, the extent to which we count, some of that has to be contingent upon what we ourselves do. And in regard to this next segment, I would say what we're prepared to tolerate. So, you know, I talked about how Boston's being met with a lot of different challenges at the moment. And I I have talked at length about these different challenges, whether we're talking about the schools, um, how we're currently, quite frankly, overrun with drugs, uh, crime that is on the rise, housing, the complete and utter lack of affordability. You know, some people might kind of write some of what I said off by saying, well, you know, most urban areas are experiencing similar issues. What you enumerated is not unique to Boston. And that, and that, of course, is true. But it's not a matter of, well, I, I can't worry about every city. I have to worry about where I am, and that's Boston. It, it's not that. But I think when people say, well, it's not unique to Boston, I think that that's a way, I think that's a cop-out, I think that's a way to really kind of not address the problems because, well, what are you going to do? It, it's what it is, and it's happening everywhere. And it's like, well, okay, but then we need to address it everywhere. And, and certainly... The way these problems that I listed and and many more are playing out in Boston, um, you know, they're obviously going to be unique 
to Boston and how they play out and to the extent to which they're pro- playing out and how long uh, these problems have been problems. I, uh, I, I, you know, I'll say this. I think that part of the, the, the issue, part, you know, one of the big obstacles that is really kind of preventing us from really kind of moving forward as, as a city Despite whatever success that we may have, I, I think we could be doing a lot better. I think we could be doing a lot more. Um, I'm always going to go back to the fact that we don't have enough, not nearly enough, uh, political and intellectual diversity. We need to have Republicans in Boston, period. And... I want to make something clear to the Republicans who who listen to me. Some of them, you know, they'll they'll hear what I'm about to say and nod their head and say, you know, fair enough. And then others will have something nasty to say. Well, <laughs> uh, these particular people always seem to have something nasty to say, and you know, and that and that's fine. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. And and I think that my words are, are mostly aimed at this, this latter group. Without me speaking up and speaking out and continuing to do so all these years, without me standing up to run for office, there would be no talk about Republicans. Now, just so we're clear, we have course, I in no way want to diminish the Republicans that have run for city council over the years. And I'm very grateful for them standing up to do that because it's not easy. It's never easy. Whenever you stand up to run for public office, it's, it's it, you know, it's an undertaking. And even if you're in an environment and you have the backing and the stars are all aligned and, and you're pretty much assured a win, it's still not, you know, something that you you casually do. It's, it you know, running for office, it's, yes, it's an undertaking. And, and you, at the end, you're tired. It takes a lot out of you. It, it, it does. And that's not to complain, but it's just to be, realistic. If you don't have a lot of energy, if you don't have a lot of time, it's 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 very difficult to then run for office because it's all consuming. It, it really is. It's all consuming. Um and and you know over the years we have had some really good uh I think you know I, I'm thinking of of a few people that were really, you know, they would have made great city councilors and yes, they were Republican. So I don't want to, in any way, as I said, take away, detract from what they did and what they bring to the table. Um, I'm talking about, you know, in terms of state level and then federal level. And, I mean, we rarely, very rarely have anybody stand up as a Republican. We have had some candidates over the years um, there have been two that I can think of in Suffolk County, which is mostly Boston, but not entirely Boston. Um, I let's see, but in in terms of federal level out here in this part of of the state, there hadn't been a Republican candidate since the late nineties to run for what is now the 7th Congressional seat. And I know that there's been, of course, redistricting. Um, but, you know, this this general area, please. <laughs> um, it's It's been badly neglected, very badly neglected. And the idea that a Republican was going to run for this, people, <laughs> I had people laughing at me, really. And the idea of taking on Ayanna Presley. So, 
you know, I, I think that, I mean, <laughs> no one likes to be a sacrificial lamb, but if it can encourage people to think about not only running in this area for Congress, you know, of course, the House, um, or, or or to run for for leg- the Massachusetts legislature uh, somewhere in the Suffolk uh, Suffolk County, somewhere somewhere specifically in Boston, either for the House or the Senate. I'm happy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I think that they're they're Democrats. I mean, Massachusetts is a very very interesting place because we have a lot of Democrats still. Still, that I think that if they were in another environment, they could possibly be Republican. And I think that there are a lot of Democrats that can get along quite well with Republicans. So it's a very interesting state. It's not because it's blue that it's necessarily so liberal. It's, 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 yeah, it's, 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 it, I think it's its own, uh, very much its own, um, Massachusetts does its own thing. It is its own thing. Um, but to get back to the point, I, you know, I think people, the idea of someone running against Ayanna Presley, it's not so far-fetched anymore because I did it. I can't say Rayla Campbell did it because she wasn't trying to run for office. She was just out there trying to get attention and and whatever else she could get. Uh, but it certainly wasn't about running for office. Uh, and she certainly, without a platform and without articulating the issues and then necessarily not being able to offer any solutions, I mean, she certainly wasn't running what most people would recognize as the campaign. And, and even people, I think, who uh, who might be more open to unorthodox bids, I think even many of those people, especially now at this point in time, would not be uh, keen on referring to her as a candidate for the because I mean the 7th congressional district seat uh in 2020 because again that's not what she was she pulled papers and that's where it began and ended um but but, but the point in me saying this is that look people might say that we don't have a chance or it's it's what do you think you're going to accomplish or but it's not quite as far fetched it's not like it happened two or three you know two two decades ago right i mean it it, it happened in 2020 people have a recent frame of reference People can say, okay, well, you know, Rachel didn't get on the ballot. But, you know, they might also say, but, you know, it was also during a pandemic. Great time to run, Rachel. Uh, And then I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, But, uh, you know, know, she she didn't get on the ballot. But, you know, she had some interesting things to say. I, you know, I don't really, I don't really vote Republican, but... You know, I, I liked what she had to say about the exam schools or, you know, she, oh, we, you know, she talked a lot about the environment and, you know, she had some ideas for that. And, oh, yeah, and she, she talked about the tea and the importance of reliable, safe and accessible public transportation. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's not too bad, right? I, I, could, I, I could get on board with that. Doesn't mean... That if I declared my candidacy uh, somewhere down the road for this seat again, that those same people that I've actually heard, you know, who have actually said things along those lines to me, it doesn't mean that I would then get their votes. But what it means is that inroads have been made. And I think that that's important. And 
it's really critical to make inroads. You know, I get it. No one wants to lose. I mean, do do people honestly think that I didn't want to make the ballot? Do people think that I wanted the whole congressional district to only get 54 write-in votes? And then in no, that was September. Then in November, I only got like 10 or 11. And, and let me just say this. The people that did vote for me, God bless you. Like till the end of time. I am so honored. And that you believed in me. And you heard all the hype, all the noise that was being made about Rayla Campbell. Or maybe you were so used to voting Democrat, but you, or not having a choice. And I don't know, you maybe saw that, okay, no one seems to be behind her because no one was. <laughs> uh, you know, the Republican Party is 100% behind Rayla Campbell, um, that you still said, I'm going to vote for you. Man. And I think that, you know, people who have run for office, uh, whether they have won or or lost, like myself, or who've gone through a tough time, like myself, um, and that that can be for people who've both won and lost, um, I I think that people listening can appreciate that even getting, earning one vote is such a big deal. But, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about a congressional district, you know, you, you get those results, you're a writing candidate. It's, it's you know, some people would say, well, it's like you didn't run. But I did. And I gave it everything I had, and I had ideas. And what was what was very interesting for me to see and sometimes not so interesting, sometimes it was infuriating. But what was interesting was seeing that one thing that could not be completely eclipsed was my ideas. And so I saw more than a few live on in the following year for the municipal races. And I was happy Um, I'll be even happier when, you know, these issues um, that I articulated and and, and some of the solutions that I offered, I'll be happier when at least the issues are are, are discussed a little bit maybe more holistically. Because when I do talk about an issue, I do tend to look at it from all angles, and I do try to take into many, uh, many different things into consideration. So, you know, I'll be happier happier, yeah, uh, that's the way to phrase it, when when I hear uh, different problems discussed um, more holistically, more comprehensively. Um, but the fact that the ideas lived on and they were discussed at length the following year in the municipal elections that gave me hope, not for me, because it wasn't about me. It was about the Republican Party. And it was about the idea that Republican ideas, Republican perspectives, you know, whether it's an issue that we can all agree is an issue or an issue that Republicans speak to, but maybe some Democrats, maybe not all, but, you know, some Democrats don't speak to. Um, but again, inroads, an opening. And so, I mean, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And I think that, I think that what I did again, I just certainly didn't want to be a sacrificial lamb, my goodness, uh, to go through everything I did go through uh, at the hands of my own party. But I, I, I think that it's important that someone, st- st- you know, stood up. 
And it wasn't just about principle for me. It was, it was, it was, I mean, certainly that played a role, but it was also about thinking that I could offer something better to the people. The people didn't agree. I, you know, accepted that. You know, those who came out to vote didn't agree. So you accept that, you be gracious, and you you move on uh, best you can. Uh, but you you still try to remain engaged, and, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, because I, I think that there's something to build on. I think that when people at least see that there are Republicans or that there are people on the political right who want to be heard. I think that that's important. And, and the idea is, is to eventually, with time, <laughs> move toward a more inclusive conversation, a more inclusive roundtable, if you will, so that the jokes about Republicans being non-existent are not made as frequently. And that even if our numbers remain small for some time to come, hopefully not too, too, too much longer, but, you know, even in the next few years or the next year or two or the next five, I don't know, five, ten years, I mean, I'm hopeful, right? <laughs> some some people might say even maybe too much so, but, you know, let's say even in like two or three years, we can make great gains. I, I, I want... What I want from my community, from my hometown, is that people feel included and that people feel heard and that a Republican solution thrown out there becomes less far-fetched over time. Again, I can't stress this enough. I didn't stand up to be a sacrificial lamb, but... I think that there is some good coming out of uh, that came out of it, rather. And as you know, as I said, I will forever be grateful to the people that vote that did vote for me because you you earn one vote, and it, and it's such a big thing. Because think about it, you're, you people are putting their trust in you, right? So on that note, I want to spend. And that, that's a heavy note to leave things on, right? But, it, you know, but, you know, but with that, I do want to spend the last few minutes. Uh, we have another, like, maybe five minutes. I want to continue this idea about inclusivity, about uh, transparency and accountability, because, uh, you know, I've often said that if we are a two-party system, that... You know, the, the, there's not only that push and pull of ideas, which has become, quite frankly, kind of a hackneyed thing to say, right? A hackneyed expression or a hackneyed phrase, whatever, however you want to uh, term it. Um, but, but it's also you have people looking to say, aha, uh -huh, wait a minute, not so fast. You know, so you have this like, you know, vault, you know, the ball being thrown back and forth, right? And so it's, you know, pe people are, you know, paying attention. People are paying attention and they have, they have something to say. And it, things don't just happen and then, you know, the rest of us or, 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 or the people, I should say, just kind of, uh, sit there and let it happen. No, it's it's things happen. People say something. Their reactions. You know, elected officials listen to whatever extent. Um, people are forced to be more open. People are encouraged to be more accountable. They have to be more accountable. They have to uh, are encouraged to be more accessible. All of this. So, two party system. Inclusivity, inclusivity, uh, you know, those big themes. 
Uh, the last topic that I want to kind of get into, so now I have like about three minutes. Um, I'm going to say this really quickly. Uh, for those of you who who like drama, uh, there's still going to be drama with the Massachusetts Republican Party, uh, unfortunately. You know, you have people, as I said, on my February 24th televised version of Bostonian Rap, you have people who want to spend their time fighting. They want to stay locked in this 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 goofy, toxic uh, infrastructure paradigm, you know, you know, whatever word, you, you know, fill in the blank. But they just want to stay locked. In, in this in in these positions where it's moderate versus conservative, which direction do we go? And it's like, but if you're not doing anything, if you're not moving forward, it doesn't really matter. If you're neglecting uh, whole big groups of the population, it doesn't matter. If people don't know that we exist, I mean, I have such a big mouth, <laughs> I just don't stop. <laughs> Uh, that, you know, people are like, okay, and there are some Republicans around here. Not many, but there are some. But, I mean, just just speaking statewide, I mean, you obviously have some, some parts of the Commonwealth where there are more Republicans than others. But I think that, you know, besides make noise, because that's not only what I want to do, and that's not what I want my other fellow active Republicans to do, uh, or to only do, it, it's about messaging, and it's about ideas, and it's about outreach. And so I want to see more of that. We need to have more of that. And I'm going to pick up next week's show by talking about that and what that looks like. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, uh, take care of yourselves, and I'll be ready to hang out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.